I'm glad you're here today. Welcome. So today we start a new series, and it's on, it's on missions, but I'm going to talk about the traditional idea of missions, but I'm also going to get into what is the mission like of our church, as a local church, and, and what is our vision, and how do we see that, and how do we live that out later in the series. But um, the reason I wanted to do this was twofold. One is, we support missionaries, whether you realize it or not, because it comes out of our general budget. We support missionaries because 7% of our money that comes in, we send out to missions. So some months it's a lot, and some months it's less. But it's consistent in our percentage. And um, the old way that, uh, that we used to do it was we had a set amount, and it was that much each month. And there'd be months where it was a real hit to us, and there'd be months where it didn't even seem to affect us. And I like the model of a percentage, not that there's one right and one wrong, it's, it's personal preference, but I like the model of a percentage for this reason. As we grow, as our income increases, I believe we are called not to be the place that just hoards money, but be a place that blesses the kingdom of God. And so I want us to be a people that are generous. I've talked about that many times, but I want us to be a people who... We're generous because we believe that God has something greater than what the world has to offer. So when I was thinking about doing this, I wanted to make sure that you guys understand. Well, because different people understand and define mission different. And so I define it basically as this. It's taking the gospel to the world. Now, some of you are picturing like little starving children in Africa, and that's okay if that's what you're picturing. They're cute, and we want to support that. But taking the gospel to the world means I have something I have to do. And that's where it gets tricky because I'm called to do something. And if I'm called to do something, that means this is really about action on my part. So yes, it can be international, but it can also be local. And it's more than simply meeting a financial need. Believe me, we we support an orphanage down in Mexico. I've been working with them since 2001. Big believer in helping to make sure that they have food, that they have clothes, that, you know, we, we've gotten them washing machines and stoves. We've gotten them refrigerators, fruit trees, chickens. They're probably sick of us bringing our junk and going, well, it's new stuff. But brand new chickens. They weren't used. Chickens or nothing. But um, they're probably at times just like, what are you doing? Because most of these are my ideas. I go, you know what you guys really need? So we get the chickens, and then they're like, where do we keep them? You know what we need to do? So we build a chicken coop. Um, So I believe in meeting those physical needs, but I think the more important thing is that we connect and we meet their spiritual needs, that we meet the spiritual needs of those around the world. So why do we do this? Matthew 28 is the traditional place we're going to go, starting at verse 16, if you want to turn there. Here's what it tells us. It says, Then the eleven disciples went into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I'm going to stop right there for a second. These are the people that walked with Jesus every day for three years. And what does it say? And some doubted. These are the people who saw Jesus crucified, who were told of his resurrection, who he bodily appeared to, And some doubted. These are the people who were with him at the Last Supper, the night which he was betrayed, and some doubted. So when you're struggling with doubt, know that you're in good company. You're not alone. 
it's okay and it's normal, and yet they still showed up when he told them to meet him on a mountaintop. And Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Similar account given in Mark chapter 16. So if you're wanting to read along as we do this this week, that's a good account for you to read as well. He's given them a command, and we're going to break that down in a minute. But you have to understand, here's the difference, I think, between the disciples and us. They doubted, but they still showed up at the mountain where he told them to meet him. Too often times we doubt, we give up, and we walk away. It didn't happen the way I wanted. The church has let me down. People have been disappointing in my life. I've had relationships that failed. I've had people that called themselves Christians that didn't do what they should have. All those things are true. Don't doubt them for a moment. And yet, that doesn't give us the excuse to not press through our doubts and press through in the relationship and keep pushing forward. It's so easy to say, I struggle with loneliness. I struggle with illness. I struggle with depression. I struggle with, I struggle with, I struggle with. All real things. And yet he looks and he says, meet me at the mountain. The disciples met him at the mountain. Are we willing to do that? But the problem is, when we meet him at the mountain, he gives us something to do. When we meet Jesus at the mountain like he's called us to, in spite of our doubts, he doesn't look and sit down and do a theology lesson with him and say, well, here's how we know it's true. Let's look at the Old Testament prophecies. What he does is he looks and he says, since you're here, you've got a job to do. I'm here today to tell you that since you're here, we've got something we've, got, we've been called to do. Here's some of the things this text tells us. First off, like I just touched on, they went where they were instructed. Some still doubted, but they showed up. I I call that the just-in-case living model. And what I mean by that is this. I read a statistic. It's been a few years, but I think it still holds true. 91% of all people in America at some point pray. But only about 80% actually say they believe that a God exists. So you got 11% of the people praying just-in-case. They don't believe God exists, but I'll throw out something into the universe just in case. And as hard as this is to believe, I think sometimes the church is the same way. And I'm just as guilty. We have this just in case mindset. We don't really believe God's going to show up and heal someone, but I'll pray because I don't want to be the one who doesn't pray. We don't really believe God's going to see me through this, but just in case, I'll pray. We don't really, we doubt and we doubt and we doubt and we doubt and we doubt, but just in case. And the problem with that lifestyle, the problem with living that way, is we're not really living in the freedom that God has given us. We're living in this thing that says, well, I don't know what else to do, so this is what I'll do. I don't know what else to do, so I guess I'll try this. And God's not angry at that, but he has to look down and say, there's so much more for you. There is so much more for you than living like that. There's so much more for you than just that just-in-case living. He wants you to live a fulfilled life. But to live that fulfilled life, it goes on to say, we have some things to do. He's given you 
the sinner that you are, the sinner that deep down you know you are, he's given you the authority to tell other people, not with condemnation, but with freedom. He doesn't look and say, as soon as you get yourself straightened out and start to really believe, he looks at a bunch of people, some of which doubted, and he says, now go and tell people. But I still doubt. That's right, now go and tell people. He doesn't say, get it all worked out, get it figured out, get yourself cleaned up, get your life right, go to Bible school, become a pastor, and then tell people. He looks and he says, now go tell the world what you've experienced. Go tell people on your left and your right who I am and what I've done. And the problem is, so many of us are looking for that permission, for that authority. Well, if I just took this class, if I just memorized this list of steps, if I just, if I just, and we, we put off and put off and put off, not because we don't want to do it, but because we don't want to do it wrong. I love when Paul sees these people, and they're doing what he does, and this group of Christians comes and says, this group of followers says, they're doing it, they're telling people about Jesus, and they're doing it wrong. And he says, but they're doing the right thing. Wouldn't it be better if we were the people who were known to tell it out? Because that's what was in us, deep within us. Even if we don't have it perfect. I've told you before, stop believing somebody has perfect theology. Because we are human and nobody knows God perfectly. And that's why I'm okay with you disagreeing with my theology. Because as long as we, again, I got four key tenets. As long as you can agree with me on those, I'm okay if you have a different view of the Holy Spirit. I've had people come and say, you guys are supposed to be spirit-filled. You should be much more Pentecostal. And I'm like, this is as Pentecostal as I get. This is me. Like I said before, I'm the anchor that holds the balloon on the table. That's what I am. And this is me as a Pentecostal. Now imagine if I wasn't raised in it. This is me enthusiastic right now. You can tell there's a slight uptick in my voice. So your theology may not agree completely with mine. Your view of the Holy Spirit may not completely agree with mine. Your view of this scripture or that scripture may not agree. But if we can agree that Jesus is who he said he was, did what he said he did, and is still coming again, we're on the same page. We can have minor disagreements, and that's okay, because I still want you telling people about who Jesus is. Because your experience with Jesus is the most critical thing you can share with someone. And when you learn to share that, both with your words and with your life, when you can do it in alignment, people are going to be impacted and changed. It's hard. It's hard. And sometimes I felt like I've had to pick up the pieces of people who did it in a condemning manner. But at the same time, I found there's a lot more people who are willing to have grace if they were preached to in a condemning manner if it really came from a place of love and not a place of judgment. We're called to teach others to observe what Jesus commanded. In other words, it comes down to this. Do I believe it? And has it changed me? Because if so, then I've got the basis for what I need to live out. And that's where it gets tough. I'm not talking about whether or not you're going to die and go to meet Jesus when you die. I'm talking about, is this real in my life, and does it change how I love my neighbor? I got some new neighbors 
uh, they just moved in this past week into the house that's across the street. I, I was friends with the neighbors that lived there before. And, um, and they moved their house and they rented it out for a year. And I tried to be friends with the renters, but they weren't too interested in being my friend. And um, so I went and I met the new neighbor yesterday. Saw him unloading his car. It was a good time to go and offer to give him a hand, but he didn't want a hand. He had kids and sent them off to do whatever. And, but then he came back and talked to me. We talked in the street for about 10 minutes. Now, is it my goal to convert him? No. It's my goal to love him as a person so much so that he sees that there's something about me. Never being afraid to share who I am. But he's not a target. He's a human that I want to have a relationship with. Because that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Even when he tells us to go into all the world, he doesn't say, go, drop your truth bomb and run out of the room. He tells you to go into all the world. Now, if I'm going to go into all the world, that means I've got to be consistently living everywhere I go. Another translation of this actually is as you go. So depending on which you hold to, some say that it's go, and some versions say as you go. As you go into the world, preach the gospel. As St. Francis of Assisi said, as you go, preach, and when necessary, use words. I like that idea because I'm going to preach with my life, and when necessary, I'm going to use words. I'm going to be friends with my new neighbor if I can be, simply because he's my new neighbor. Not because of what I'm going to get out of it, but because he's a human and he deserves to be loved. Here's some things that the text doesn't tell us. Sometimes I wish the text told us more. Sometimes people put in their own thing because it doesn't tell us more. But number one is the method. This week, a group of pastors, 4,400 of them so far have signed on to the why social Uh, social justice, the social gospel is dangerous. And it makes me sad. And here's why it makes me sad. Because now you're telling people you can only really do the gospel if you do it our way. There's 4,400 pastors so far in the United States that believe the gospel message can only be done if it's done their way. If you aren't a person who wants to go out and feed the poor as a way to show them Jesus, that's between you and God and has nothing to do with me. But I'm not about to say how we should or should not spread the gospel. What I'm going to say is the method can be different, but our message has to be constantly the same, and that is that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he resurrected, and he's coming back. And so if I do that by taking care of orphans in Mexico... Here's the thing. Long before I pastored this church, I was going there and doing that. And I remember when they were in a three-room house. It had a bedroom, a kitchen, dining area, and then a bedroom for the kids. We built on a little, what we called the study room, that became actually another bedroom. And the one bedroom that was really small, where they literally slept on little mats next to each other, became a laundry area. Then over time... I helped them purchase a piece of property. And over time, they built this gorgeous, big building. And then the chickens came in. And that's where we're at now. But I did that before I was here. And I'm going to continue to do that maybe long after I'm gone from here. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. Not because I have to, but because of this. 
I cannot do everything I wish I could do, but I can do something, and if I do nothing, that's when I'm being wrong, and that's when I'm robbing the gospel. I can't change every kid's life in the world, every kid that's in poverty, every, I can't. But you know what I can do? I can buy some food for this one group of kids. I can make sure that they have toys, and I can give them some money so that when it's their birthday, every kid gets a present. And I don't know why that's important to me, but years ago I started doing that, and I give them a certain amount of money for the year, and every kid gets a present on their birthday. Because every one of them matters to Jesus. Every one of them matters. And so it's not about, oh, Jeff, you do so much. I really don't. I wish I could do more. But what I do is something. Some people wouldn't like my method. Some people would rather I just send a check to a missions organization that says, we've got this. And I understand that. Methods are different, but the message is what matters. It doesn't tell us in the text when to stop. That's another hard part. I mean, we need to go until everybody is heard, but is this even possible? I mean, what about those little tribes in Papua New Guinea and in the Amazon? I saw a video, some of you that follow the news might have seen this video. It was online. It's a drone shot that they found an opening in the forest, and they believe they found a new tribe of people. This little tribe of people that they're shooting pictures with a drone There's about two dozen people living in the Amazon that, as far as they know, have not had any outside contact in our world today. And you see little people walking around, partially clothed, just cruising through the jungle. Like, that is crazy. Is it possible for them to hear? I don't know, but here's what I do know. As long as I'm living... As long as there's breath in my lungs, I have a job to do. I can't tell every person in the world, but I can live it out so much so that the people around me see it. Final thing it doesn't tell us that I wish it did is that if you do this, here's the fruit. This is the toughest part for me. When Peter preaches on what becomes known as the day of Pentecost, thousands get saved. I have never preached and had thousands saved yet. But it's hard because we want to see fruit. We want to see the results. And yet God doesn't call us to see the results. He calls us to be faithful to do what he's called us to do. Now, I understand our finances are limited. Our time is limited. It's all finite stuff. And I try to when we're looking at who we're going to support missionally as a church, we do sometimes change. We do sometimes get rid of people. Because I I, I always go back to early on in my working years, my boss talked about return on investment. And you have to look and say, what is your greatest bang for your buck? What is giving you your greatest return on your investment? It's the same thing that they'll tell you if you go and you meet with a financial planner and they're planning out your retirement package and they'll talk about, well, this one has these fees. And although it's, uh, you know, one and a quarter percent less on average years, their fees are this, so you'll actually have, and they show you these charts. And I get lost in it and go, and just kind of go mind numb and go, just tell me where to put my money. I'm giving you this much money. Tell me I have a little bit more next month. That's all I need. So it comes down to, 
I want the greatest amount of fruit for where we put our money. So when we work with missions organizations, we try to look. Because it is limited and it is finite. But even though he never promises fruit, he asks us to be faithful. And your faithfulness and my faithfulness is key to us being a church that's effective at reaching the world. I've said it many times. You're not going to change the world, but you can change one person at a time. And as we change life after life after life, we change the lives of those people around us, it changes eternity, it changes destinies. I have seen it happen where a student came into my youth group, started following Jesus, and their parents followed behind them. And I look now, and their parents are still involved in the church. And the kids are now having kids of their own. And it started because some seventh grade kid got invited by a friend to an event that we had at youth group and something about it made him feel loved and accepted and he kept coming. I've seen generations changed because one person decides they're going to be committed to the gospel. One person. They don't even necessarily make that decision on that day. They don't go, I'm now going to go change the world. But they begin to do it. Some people get worried when I talk in terms of return on investment because, well, what about we put this much into it and, you know, we're not seeing the fruit, but that doesn't mean it's not there. You're right, it doesn't. Because there's been people I've poured my life into that I haven't seen the fruit. But what I know is I want us to make sure that we're pouring our lives into the things that really matter. But the scripture never promises me that there'll be fruit. So I go back and forth on this. I want to do what's going to have the greatest impact for the kingdom. But I also want to do it out of relationship. As we talk about this over the next few weeks, and we talk about missions, we're going to talk more about, next week we're going to talk about Paul's missionary journeys. We're going to talk about the impact on culture, a model for missions today. Over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about missions as a lifestyle, um, the fact that we all have a role. But what does that look like for you and for me today in modern century America in 2018? And what is God wanting me to do? How is God asking me to live that out? Because it's not enough to simply say, well, I love God, but not to live out in a way that shows the world who Jesus is in me. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at missions and asking ourselves, what do I have to do to really live this out in my life? And... um, I will be talking, again, a lot about foreign missions, but also about just our day-to-day life of taking it to the whole world. Because the whole world isn't just some foreign country. The whole world is right down the street from us. Sometimes it's easier for me to love some orphans in Mexico than it is the guy right down the street from me the person who annoys me at work, the person who, you know, gets on my nerves 
in traffic. It's kind of hard to love that guy sometimes. Sometimes it's just far easier. I'll just write the check. I don't even actually see the money then. Believe me, I still need the check, so don't stop writing the checks. But I've got to change who I am to reflect who Jesus is because it's not just about not going to hell. It's about letting the rest of the world know who Jesus is. Father God, I thank you for every person in this room, Lord. I thank you that you have plan and purpose for our life. God, I thank you that you want us to represent you even though we're flawed and broken and sinful people. You've invited us to be a part of that journey. May that be more and more real in us. In your name, amen. Is Aaliyah still in here? Come on up. Some of you know her. Some of you don't. You should have gotten to know her. She's great. This is her last week. I told you, every week is somebody's last week. She is headed to serve our country. Army, right? Huh? Marine. She is going to be in the Marines. She looks like a Marine. I already fear her. I already fear her. This is her last week. We want to pray for her. I'm actually baptizing her this week at my house. So if you want to come by, let me know. I'll give you the details. We're going to baptize her this week. And um, for the last two years, she's been a part of our church. And she's so quiet. Most of you are like, I might have seen her before. Um, but it's true. She's been a part of our church for the last two years. And she's decided that this is what God has for her next. And so I just want to pray for opportunity and safety as she goes away. Father God, we thank you for Leah, and I thank you for who she is. God, I thank you for what you've called her to next. God, I pray for her to find good friends who encourage her in her faith and walk with her. God, I pray that she would be not only safe, but Father God, that she'd be given opportunities to show who you are. God, I pray that she'd be given leadership opportunities that she steps up to. Lord, I pray that this would be not only the next step of Father God, that you would lead her down the path step by step by step that she is able to follow you in all these things. We thank you and we praise you for all you're doing um, in her life. In your name, amen. Make sure, oh yeah, clap for Let's sit down Make sure that you um, say hello to her when she's outside. Stay for lunch. We're gonna, I want to invite you again. James invited you to the barbecue and I've told you why it's important to me. It's important to me because when we're in crisis in our lives or even just our everyday lives, we need people. We need people to stand beside us, to pray for us, to be our friends, to engage in life with us. And Jesus did it over food. And because I'm from the Midwest and we do everything over food there, those of you who, some of you have had the opportunity to meet my parents, um, you know, the moment I walk in my mom's house, the moment, do you want a sandwich? Can I get you? And she starts naming foods that are in the fridge. I'm going in November for a week, and I told her, and there's a couple of guys going with me, and her first, her first sentence out of her mouth was, will you guys be there in time for dinner, or should I make you something and save it? Mom, it's two months from now. I'm not sure. We'll have some food together, Mom. Because food is how you show people that you love them and that you care for them. And if you ask any Midwesterner, most of us even show it a little bit. I want to invite you, stay for lunch. We have tables that we're setting up outside. We have tables already set up in the lobby. We have people that are going to get chairs around those tables. 
We're going to walk out these side doors right here. We're going to walk that way through the food line. And then if you want to sit inside, just walk back in. And if you want to sit outside, there's the normal uh, cafe tables. Plus, we've set up some more on the playground. You can also, if you want to bring food in here, I don't care, bring food in here. It's air-conditioned. It's nice and cool. If you go and you eat right away, you'll still be home 30 minutes before the game at least. Again, please, whether it's your first time or you've been coming here for 20 years, stay and have food with us. Sit down with somebody. Talk to somebody. Just find out who they are. Look for people that you haven't seen in a while that are old friends and find out what's been going on in their life. Ask people what their favorite thing they did this summer was. Or my other favorite question, what are you most looking forward to over the next six months in your life? It says a lot about who they are. So you guys, I want to invite you to stay. I'm going to pray for our food right now, so as soon as you get it, you can eat. God, we thank you for the blessings you've put in our life. I pray, Father God, that as we eat together today, that it would be a time that's life-giving, a time that's exciting and inspiring, a time that causes us to build new relationships and reevaluate priorities as we sit around the table. In your name, amen. If you have to go, I totally understand, and I will see you all next week when we continue our series on missions.